Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back with episode three of Best Ball Bros on Spike Week, spikeweek.com. I'm super pumped today to bring on uh, what I would consider to be a good friend now, someone I've known for for quite a while in in this space, and I'm sure all you guys already know him, the the best ball influencer, Peter Overs. That someone I was lucky enough to draft a team on one of Pete's streams this year that he and I somehow snuck our way into the top ten of Best Ball Mania two. So that made for a really fun sweat. Excited to talk to Pete about that, about his takeaways from from Best Ball season, what he thinks about Best Ball moving forward, and some non Best Ball related stuff. Maybe get to know him a little bit more. Um, obviously a lot of stuff, you know, that he's doing in his, you know, content space and, and much, much more. So really excited to get into this one with Pete. Let's get it going. guys nick thank you my two favorite favorite best ball best ball bros pete what's going on i'm sure you've probably already had like 46 streams today um how is your your thursday treating you how's how's the nfl season winding down how is how is that for you uh it's going good yeah no this is this was the first week where it kind of hit me of like holy cow i don't have to you know do 10 hours of programming (laughs) uh you know normally been having stuff on thursday nights even just with uh showdown crams and stuff like that so i'm yeah. sitting here looking at my thursday night schedule like holy cow i uh i can just veg out and, and do nothing tonight so yeah it's you're torn right because we have so much fun like doing all the content being in there but then you also realize like i kind of need a break i need to dial this back a little bit so i am i am excited for these next uh couple months to to recharge and then i don't know i even just saw we're getting usfl news you know lately <laughs> so it's like i'm already ready for usfl so that, that's just how it goes that's a, I guess that that's a uh, we'll get into uh, some people sent some questions we'll get into some questions and all, and all that later but that that was kind of a a one off question that I had you bring up like USFL do do you have any like personal plans to do other sports or yeah like USFL like when XFL comes around are you gonna try to dive into that stuff or are you gonna take like you know a few months off after the NFL season. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would do stuff around USFL, and I do a splash play uh, with Chris Spags on my channel, and I think he's interested in that. So that might be something we do. Um, I might. I've been talking with Justin Freeman at, at Run the Sims. Maybe, maybe a little MMA action in in the Sims. So that's probably like the other DFS sport I, I really enjoy building lineups for and sweating. So I could see myself doing that. But yeah, I, I'm excited for kind of February to take off. My wife and I are going on a trip. Uh, beginning of March. And then once I get back from that, I'll probably be, you know, ready to go, you know, full, full bore again. Cause we'll get USFL. We'll have the NFL draft and then 
best ball season will obviously just be completely off to the races then. I saw I saw you guys on Ship Chasing Latin last night, uh, you and Pat. I watched that a little bit earlier today, already talking about <laughs> 2022. I feel like I'm interested in your thoughts on this because I never thought about this stuff at this point in the year before. Like, I think even like people in like the content space and stuff, like the season kind of wound down, right? You know, like like you would listen to like Silva, right? You know, the the one of the OGs of the fantasy space. And like by the time the end of the season came, they were like, dude, shut me down. Don't, you're not going to hear from me for, for a few months. And that was it. And now with this best ball stuff, it's like, we're already thinking, I've been thinking about 2022. Like I started on 2022 freaking rankings and like people are thinking about it and drafting and stuff already. So like, has that changed for you? Are you going to take a kind of same thing? Are you going to take a break from drafting and doing content or like, are you kind of already like getting a little bit of an itch to dive into it? Yeah, no, even just talking about it last night, definitely starting to get an itch and you know, one of my big kind of takeaways from this season too, about, you know, wanting to be more price sensitive at certain times throughout the draft season and making sure you're getting your shares before they become more expensive. And even last night we were talking, like looking at Javante Williams, FFPC (laughs) ADP. And I'm like, you know, this might be my only time to get Javante Williams. And then he's going to be going 102, 103, like once Melvin Gordon clears out. So it's like that kind of almost fear of missing out on the good prices is kind of a funny motivator (laughs) right now of like jump in, take advantage of those efficiencies. And then inevitably at some point in the summer, the pendulum will swing back in the other direction. And then you can, you know, get another guy for cheap. So I am interested in kind of a longer, you know, playing the the stock market of the best ball. On the Mm -hmm. other hand, I do think like the strategy you had this year, and I, I kind of employed it too with going hard early, chilling out in the middle of the summer, doing all the mittens, and then backfilling the rest of my BBMs towards the end. I do want to try to stay with that general plan as well. Yeah, that that was, it's really funny because I, I tweeted about this, like uh, I think after after the, the final, the best ball tournament finals, that I was listening to some content and like my big takeaway after it all wrapped up was like, I think I need to draft more early in that, like the, in like the BBM specifically, right. You have the mittens and all that there. Some of them are only going to last for like four, four days. So it doesn't really matter, but like BBM, the DraftKings Millie and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I need to draft more early because of some of the things that, that you said, you can always draft later and there's always going to be more contests later. I'm not saying uh, what Chris G in your, in your uh, community <laughs> yeah. that maxed it out by like May or whatever it was. <laughs> I think that's a little maybe extreme, but uh, you know, I, I dropped, my plan was like half early and half at, at, at the end. And I think I want to swing that a little bit more early just because it's, I mean, I pulled up some of my early drafts and maybe this is just right. Small sample, sheer luck for me. But I'm talking about like sixth round Cooper cup, like eighth round Debo Samuel, you know? And so it was like, I was taking JT in the first round in my early drafts, but that didn't matter because I got so many values later on you know and like i got so much trey lance in my portfolio because he was going in the 14th round or early on then he get you know we all steam him up really high and so my takeaway was like i'm willing to eat the the acres the jk dobbins the etn i'm willing to eat those those teams because my chance to create this just monster squad i feel like that the evidence supported that pretty clearly and i think liam i got some some data from from liam at chess liam who won uh, best ball mania too. And I think some of, some of his takeaways were, were, were fairly similar. And yet there were people like that kind of maybe didn't do as well. Right. Like I'm, I'm trying to, it was a confirmation bias. Cause like we ended on a really good note, right? Like had a good, had a good team, had a good season. 
And it's like, am I just, you know, pushing that narrative because I was successful? Because some other people I'm listening to were like, I'm not drafting early ever again. You know, I lost a bunch of money. I had all these Michael Thomas teams. I had all these Cam Akers teams and they didn't win. So they're like out on that. Is that like, uh, do you think it's like, I'm just like being like total confirmation bias because I made some money? Well, I I was thinking about that too, because there's tons of scenarios where, you know, one, or let's just say like we, you know, we built a team that could advance to the finals and there's skill in that, but then like getting the Jamar chase blow up game and the Rashad Penny, like that's the luck. And I think we both, you know, admit that, but that said, like the way we constructed that team looked a lot like our other teams. Maybe it was Trey Lance or Justin Fields (laughs) and not Mac Jones on a bunch of those, but that was, isn't that kind of the thesis of like the, type of builds that you and I generally like make people feel uncomfortable because of how fragile it is. And yet like, that's the fucking thesis of it, of knowing like if we can get one of these through, you set yourself up for being differentiated and having a monster score. So on the one hand, it's like, yeah, we'd be feeling a lot more shitty about our best ball years. If we didn't have that on the other hand, we're building our portfolio to have that one monster squad squeak through and be really unique relative to the field. And that's exactly what happened. I think it's hard for people to wrap their brain. And and maybe when you come from like, you know, you're now a DFS tournament, bro. Right. And I have been for a while when you like have been able to wrap your mind around the fact that like your your profitability on an entire year is going to be made in like a few days. Like you're going to, it like, it's going to be lose, 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 lose. Oh, Bink 50k, bink 100k, bink whatever. And you do you just hope to do that like two or three times a year in a good year, right? I know that the the superstars, you know, you do a show with Brick, right? I saw you had Petty on, like the guys that are just the best on the world in the world are, are are better than me and have more more ups than I would have. But like the the profitable most profitable players, you're just like, I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna lose. And then I just have that one big score. So translating that to best ball everything that you just said, like, that's how my brain is wired. I'm like, I'm going to do like, like I did like 600 and something drafts this year or something like that. Like, and I just want one, like it's going to, one of those, I don't really give a shit which one it is. I just want one of those. And I think that's why like you see the advance rate conversation all the time and all of that, because people, it's hard for people to wrap their head around. Like your entire year is going to be driven by one team, whether you like it or not, you're the success of your season is going to be driven by, by, by one team, no matter how many drafts you do. Yeah. And I think my big takeaway is like, I'm still completely comfortable drafting, you know, naturally fragile and hyper fragile teams, but making sure that I'm not always building the exact same kind of hyper fragile team. You know what I mean? Where it was like, we got into the, you know, rookie QB meta, but it's like, we could have done that with with other pairings and, and stuff like that. And I know the other thing that kind of burned me this year was basically all the safe, what I thought was safe pass catching backs that were going to kind of buoy mm. my zero RB squads until the fragility of the season kicked in. And that thesis didn't work out with, you know, James White and Geo and Hines all kind of flopping. And so thinking about kind of my RB portfolio and that of like, you know, maybe you've basically assigned this safety around this small cohort of players that just didn't exist. And so that's what I really want to do this off season is like, how can I embrace that? But very where I'm getting that fragility draft to draft and not just getting so comfortable. Well, now I got James white. So I got my eight points a week in this lineup. I'm fine. You know, that that's kind of the, the problem for me now. That was another big takeaway. I feel like for me, I kind of had it a little bit going in and we talked um, in the off season a few times where 
I wasn't drafting that much James White and JD McKissick and 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 I did I did go fairly hard at at, at Geo, which good lord, you couldn't possibly be more wrong about a pick than than the the Bucks backfield. But I wasn't drafting as many of those guys. I like I went in and I said part of my strategy for drafting early is I'm just going to play this running back variance thing. Draft Daryl Henderson, draft Alexander Madison, draft Chuba Hubbard, draft right Rashad Penny happened to be the guy that well Henderson kind of and then Rashad Penny that hit for for us and a lot of people down the stretch but like you know we see those guys throughout the course of the year put up usable weeks whether it's like dalvin misses and you get the madison week or like you just get lucky sometimes (laughs) like alexander madison happens to be in there at the goal line and gets the the 10 point week and he does it the same amount of times as like a a james white does so i think that's something that was a again maybe a little bit of confirmation bias but was was a, a small takeaway for me. So this is a funny comment and I wanted to bring this up because this is, we can maybe do a little storytelling from, from ship chasing over the summer. Chris says drafting yeah. BBM to two teams prior to the puppies was plus EV. And I don't know if everybody watching understands why that, why that was, was because before the puppies dropped, uh, there was no uh, zero RB craze. There was no wide receiver. Well, I forget whatever we called it during, during the summer. But you host a show called Ship Chasing that I was lucky enough to be a guest on a couple of times. And as we were diving into Best Ball Mania 2, we we started really pushing um, kind of wide receivers. And all of a sudden, this <laughs> I, I, I don't even this reckoning of 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 drafters just going crazy on 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 wide receivers. Like, what's your kind of like that's like one of the, my biggest memories from the inside, entire summer. What's like your memory of that that moment? Because I don't even know if Chris knows this, but like that's pretty much what happened. Is like people are watching ship chasing and the net, and like two days later, the wide receiver ADPs all went up around. Yeah, yeah, I know because we ended up having like two shows um, within like a span of three to four weeks, and it I, in my head I remember it almost as like this like one upmanship thing where we were talking about how willing, how far we were willing to push things. And we're just like all kind of working each other into a frenzy of like, you don't need to take one of these fucking guys until the eighth round. Like, you know, and, uh, and then it did just get out of control. And I think it also had a snowball effect to where even people who didn't want to draft like that had to capitulate because it's like, if I don't, take my wide receiver now they just aren't going to exist so it was the combo of the people leading the charge and then the rest of the field being like i fucking hate how my wide receivers look with the way these pissing yellow boys are drafting so then they started doing it and then next thing you know the the adps were just all out of whack yeah uh, that, that is that's a really good point because i haven't even thought about it that that way where like you got the rb bros that are like yeah can I take this guy in the second round? They're like, cause, but you know, they're used to being like, I'm going to go RBRB. Maybe I'll get an elite quarterback, elite tight end. Who care? You know, who cares if I have to take whatever Elijah Moore in the 12th round? I'm like, buddy, you know, but at, at that point, Elijah Moore probably was like an 11th round pick in like a week. You had to take Elijah Moore in the eighth round. And that's not even an exaggeration, you know? And it was also a little bit of, like you said, people were getting influenced that some of the same guys were getting steamed, right? Visca got steamed and, and Elijah Moore got steamed and Rondale Moore got, got steamed. Um, but that was such a funny, such a, such a funny time. And there's so many good comments and uh, yeah, like th- this also <laughs> happened. So I guess yeah. it wasn't all, it wasn't all bad for, for some people because, uh, uh fournet was was uh denounced paul says yeah can we all agree not not to do the the adp flip until until august and the rb dead zone starts well, at the 101 famous pat kareen quote i mean the the question about flipping the adp in august i mean 
I guess where where do you think the field is going to be at, say, when whatever this year's BBM opens up? Because I, we have to see some kind of correction. Like people yeah. can't ignore. I've even seen, you know, staunch zero RB haters kind of, you know, wave the white flag a little bit and be like, this wasn't a good year to draft running backs early. I mean, do you think just from the get go, we have a, a much more wide receiver heavy ADP? I'm so torn on that. So I did my first 2022 draft just to, uh, I started on some rankings. I wanted to kind of see what ADP looked like on, on underdog and just kind of like blindly, you know, fly into, into a draft. And it, it, it hasn't really, it, it, it's obviously super, I mean, as early as it could possibly be. And it hasn't really changed. And, and part of me agrees exactly with, with what you said, that would be my natural gut take. The other side of that is that, there's like the running back pool is even worse. Like, you know, obviously the sentiment for so many guys is going to be so bad, you know, aside from JT, even like people are scared of CMC, Christian McCaffrey. We were like, Oh my God, you've got the one one It's a cheat code. People are worried about CMC. Now, you know, you get the guys that had Rashad Penny has the monster year down the stretch. People are fearful of what he's, what's what he's going to look like. Right. He's, I mean, he's a free agent. Um, Devin Singletary, like is one of the only workhorses in the entire NFL. And people are like, uh, you know, I don't know that ha- like that hasn't been the case in years past. You know, we always had the Josh Jacobs and the Chris Carsons and all that, that people felt comfortable with in the fourth round. And I think that there's just such a small pool of running backs that people feel comfortable with that. It's pushing like just at the, t- at, at, at the high end, at yeah. least maybe the first two or three rounds, it's pushing everybody up. Yeah. And that is because I do think that is kind of normally the narrative of, of the types who capitulate to the wide receiver heavy stuff is like, Hey, I still feel confident. And I, and I want those warm, fuzzy feelings that drafting a running back in the first round gives me, I know no one's going to lambast me for, you know, drafting a Derrick Henry or Dalvin cook because they have a track record and (laughs) then they're willing to kind of go extreme after that. Um, But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it, it'll forever be hard to shake you know, kind of people wanting to feel comfy with those, with those running backs and why I still think again, even though we might get wide receiver heavy drafts that like pure zero RB drafts are still going to be unique and underutilized relative to their win rates. That's, that's, what's always so funny to me about the zero RB thing is like, obviously you and I and some others are, are on the same page about that, but people always talk about like, Oh, look at the number of teams that were in the final that were RB RB. And it's like, Yes, I, I I see that. I'm I'm also you know able to see that number, but like when what what's the percentage of teams that are zero running back that don't draft a running back for five or six five or six rounds at least five percent incredibly the whole, low yeah like five percent of the of the player pool. So it's like that's a obviously that's that should be part of the equation. Of course, there's not going to be very many <laughs> zero RB teams when when there's only ten thousand of them in the in the whole in the whole tournament, and then. Um, you know, you just have, have this aspect of like that, not not to do the uniqueness thing, but kind of right. It's kind of the, the uniqueness conversation. Like there's an inherent edge to having only the superstar wide receivers and these kind of, you know, the Rashad pennies, right. Sony Michelle's Alexander Madison's et cetera. When, when your opponents are like, not going to get as much benefit from those, those scores as you are when you have Devonte Adams and DK Metcalf and Cooper cup or whatever. 
Yeah, and too, I was just thinking it through. I saw King Coakley in there saying the DGENs drafting early are going to be wide receiver bros. I also think it actually checks out for how the information works, where information's really important for these backfields. You know, whether, you know, who who's the backup, what kind of roles yeah. can we project, the offense. And that's a lot harder to do early in the year. So, like, if you were trying to diversify your structural portfolio, like, fucking load up zero RB earlier in the offseason when there's so much uncertainty. And then when we get closer to training camp and everything in backfield start to solidify, then you can take your two, three running back starts or whatever you want to do. But at least you can hang your hat on some information where like we were looking yeah. at the FFPC ADP last night and I'm sitting there looking at four nets ADP. And I'm like, there is so much just team and systemic risk here that that price felt so rich. And that's even putting aside Leonard for bias. Like he crushed this year, but like yep. there was a lot of factors and variables that could change between now and the start of the season for him. Yeah. The, the information edge thing is, is, is pretty interesting because you'll also probably have like, we're sitting here talking about, you know, the wide receiver flipping or whatever you will probably have, a lot of that, right? And inherently running backs are going to get hurt in the offseason, right? So you're going to remove running backs from from the player. Not that wide receivers won't, but it's just naturally more running backs will will get hurt or bad news will come out about a running back, right? This is a committee, you know, Devin Singletary. They can come out and say, you know, look, we actually do want to give Zach Moss a role. Devin Singletary falls from the fourth to the seventh round or whatever. And so like you can use that information edge then later, like you said, um, and use the the you know, lack of information edge, the variance edge um, earlier in the off season, which I think is something that I think more people will definitely probably start doing, but it's, it's not something people don't think like that. They, they just, you know, you want to be able to screenshot the team on underdog or just like feel comfortable. Like, look, I got my starting lineup filled out. Uh, you know, maybe I took some kind of flyer later, later in dress. I feel like we'll never, I, I'm interested in your kind of take on this. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where there's more, like truly more efficiency in the, like in the market, I guess we'll definitely have some more efficiency, but in terms of people being able to embrace, like your team doesn't look good week one, or like, you know, you drafted in May and it's a, it looks like shit, like that you would not want to start this team in a season long league. How, you know, cause you play a lot of season long. Do you have any thoughts like kind of on that whole, just like kind of meta? Yeah. I, it just see every year you think, oh, maybe the pendulum will swing a little bit back in the other direction. And and I do think this year's data will probably be enough to like push stuff a little bit, but I don't know if we'll ever see a seismic shift. I mean, you zero RB has been a buzzword that has triggered people literally since the day Sean Siegel wrote that article. And we've had mounds of data, mounds of examples of this being a profitable strategy across multiple formats and people still you know, reject it so much. And they're not even, they're rejecting like the semantics of it and not yeah. even like the philosophical underpinning. So it kind of reminds me of just like political debates and stuff where it's like <laughs> the things we're actually arguing about isn't even the important thing here. So I guess to answer your question, I don't know if that will ever change. I mean, we see it in DFS too, right? Where there's still an extent where you look at lineups and, you know, the lineups that win tournaments are people go, how did you get on that 1% play? How did you get on that play? But if you were to have screenshotted that lineup and people don't do this, but if you posted that right before lock, who'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you're crazy. <laughs> and that's what happens in best ball. But because there's such a longer time horizon to see, were you right? I think because again, as humans, we want to be right way more than we want to make money. That's just like how our, our brains yep. are wired. And so when you have to have this long runway of getting proven that you're right, um, 
then I'd rather just try to be right now. And it's a lot easier to look right now drafting a team that everyone likes. And I think that psychology really messes people up. That is that is such a good way to put it too. Um, like people, you just want to be right. I mean, that's why the people are shitting on each other on Twitter constantly, right? They're, you say something that someone disagrees with and you're going to get, you know, 14 quote tweets of look at this idiot or, you know, whatever, because they want to show that they're right and that person is wrong as opposed to, Right. Like uh, Liam came on this exact show and was like, dude, I had a below average uh, advance rate, win rate or whatever. And he's like and he went through the list of like all the league winners. Right. Pick a league winner from this year. He was like, I was fucking wrong about all of them. Every single one. He's like Cooper Cup. Wrong. Fournette. Wrong. Debo. Wrong. Blah, blah, blah. Mark Andrews. Wrong. About all of them. And the guy had, you know, what I forget what the, the amount of teams he got through the advance rate continuing, you know, from round to round was just absolutely in, insane because of how he constructed. It was basically just a roster construction, you know, thing. He went heavy on one team, basically the Bills. <laughs> uh, shocker. Um, he's a Bills fan for anybody that uh, his, his username is literally go go Bills 2020. <laughs> it's so good on, on underdog. So he went heavy on heavy, he made a big bet on the Bills, and then he knows how to construct teams really well. He knows how to. You know, like you said at the top, being price sensitive and all that kind of stuff. And so it just played out over his entire portfolio. But he had a below average advance rate. He actually was wrong. He was wrong more than he more than he was right. But he just happened to it all clicked when when he was right. Um, real quick, I want to hit a couple of yeah. the comments because Harbs asked about the round difference between Zeke and Pollard. So what it is right now, I'll just tell you from the draft that I did last night. Also, this is, this was with like Eagles, Paul that's in the chat. Like a lot of, there was a lot of smart people in this draft, but Zeke is a three third or fourth round pick and Pollard went in the, like the early eighth round. Do you think that that's something that, that this is like a good question though. Do you think that that's something that maintains on this situation specifically, as well as like that Dalvin Madison, the, the very clear handcuff thing. How do you think people will handle kind of what we talked about earlier with the handcuff value, handcuff value? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like at least sentiment coming out of this season is Zeke has obviously done a lot to burn people. I mean, we were even doing the FFPC playoff challenge and even the boomers were telling us we don't want anything to do with Zeke. So that's, that's how you know things have soured. On the other hand, Tony Pollard didn't quite do enough to where people are like ready to really hang their hat on him. He yep. didn't have even that finish that AJ Dillon did last year. I always remember that game against the Titans at home where they just gave him the ball 20 times. And you're like, Holy cow, I see the potential. So I think Pollard might stay a little bit more in check. And then Zeke falls. Like maybe this backfield kind of looks like the Cardinals coming into mm. this yeah. year where he, you know, Pollard's the Chase Edmonds and Zeke is the James Conner. So I don't know. Uh, I think that's going to be really interesting how that shakes out. But man, no one wanted, wants to draft Zeke right now. Yeah, yeah. That, it is kind of funny because he's the typical uh, boomer pick, right? The, the running back guy, not even just boomers. The, the running back bro pick is Zeke. And now even the running back people are like, no, Zeke looks dust. It's like you, you you take tons of dusty running backs, but Zeke is you know the guy on the Cowboys uh, is where you're gonna you're gonna draw the line. So um, we're about halfway into this, and a little bit I got some questions from some people in a little bit of a, a, a fun format. But what I'm trying to do on this show is also get into a little bit of like background about the person. So like you you have been doing the content thing for quite for uh, quite about quite 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 a while now, like. 
like, how did you get here? How, how did this, where, where, where did Peter Overzet come from? And how did you get to being this, you know, doing 50 uh, streams a week on YouTube? It was funny because I was just talking about this with someone the other day that I hadn't, um, before StreamYard, I had tried out. I was like, I think I'd be good at live streaming. I think I'd have fun with it. But StreamYard didn't exist yet or I didn't know about it. And mm -hmm. I had tried like the OBS thing. It was probably three years ago. It was like conference championship. Uh, my friend Court Smith, who does the site Bet the Prop, we were like, let's fire up a couple streams. And I remember trying to set up the scenes at OBS and I'm having audio <laughs> lag delay. It's crashing my computer. And I was just like, I, I never want to stream again. Like I'll just upload videos because this is a disaster. So it was like right around the pandemic. Um, when I found StreamYard, I started doing lulls with Brian and then we were just all home all the time. I was like, I'm having fun with this. Let's just go all in. I started doing the randomizer streams, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and so that's kind of when all the live streaming took off. But yeah, before that I had, um, when I moved out to Boston, I had done, uh, a bunch of improv that was kind of my like way. I, I mean, I knew my wife out here, but didn't know anyone else. And I was like, this is a, a fun hobby. I'd like to try out. I got really involved in that community. Uh, did it like nonstop four to five times a week for four or five years. And oh, then wow. met a couple of buddies through that who are really into fantasy football. And we're like, Hey, you want to start a podcast, start a show. We actually did a live. We started doing, we called it the fantasy football comedy hour, which was doing fantasy football comedy as a stage show for in real life patrons in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it was like the dumbest idea. Cause they don't give a shit about like, you know, these really hyper niche specific jokes. And we're like, all right, we need to do this as a podcast. Um, and so then that kind of, you know, led into other things. And then I just got more involved doing, doing content online. But the, uh, the video thing was funny too, because when I started doing video, I was like, I'd actually applied for a job at DraftKings. Um, and this was, it had to have been like five years ago and they had an on-camera position. And I was like, Oh, this would be fun. But I had, you know, I had done hundreds of hours of on-stage performance, but no on-camera stuff. And mm. I didn't do too well at the interview. And I was like, all right, I need to, I need to beef up my, my video presence if I want to do this. And I was like, but I don't want to just be a talking head. Like the person I am now is like, I'll, I'll be the man's. <laughs> and so that's how the man's was born. So for a while, uh. like a year and a half, the only video stuff I had done was, as man's <laughs> that's so but i we met to uh right pre-pandemic or something I can't, I can't even remember exactly within the last three years or something like that is is that it we met because you roto grinders party right it, it, so yeah. you you started doing the roto grinders show on yes. fridays and i came on because i i have worked for roto grinders for i don't even remember how many years now but i was working for rg at the time and I came on a couple times and did the show with you because like I was doing the showdown stuff for yeah. RG and then obviously main slate short slates we did so we did some stuff so met you again I don't remember how many years ago that was but before that and I've heard other people how many people have said this to you that they were like I didn't know like the man's versus Pete Overzet and like what wh who was this person is the man like the man's I think it's a bit you know but it's Pete Manzanelli real is, is is he really Peter Overzet like before I met you I had absolutely no idea is that like a common like a common thing I think Liam said that too yeah yeah I still I mean now it, it it they're they're spread out but there was a stretch there for like every month uh someone yes I, I how can I forget uh David Kitchen, uh, my mentor. Yeah, but that that was when I started doing stuff at RG when Kitchen asked me to do Swolecast. 
Um, and then I started adding in doing some of the like bankroll challenge streams and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I think because I do keep them for a while, I kept them pretty separate. Uh, like I wouldn't retweet man stuff. Like once I created the man's Twitter account, there was a stretch where I didn't have the man's Twitter account. So I was just tweeting man stuff out from my account. Everyone knew me, they knew it. But then when I created that account, I just basically had a separation of church and state and didn't really <laughs> cross pollinate. So there were a lot of people who I think got thrown off and never, never put it together. Okay. So I also saw somebody uh, mention, what was it? The poker go show or poker uh what, what was you were on poker with uh what's her name uh jennifer tilly Gen jennifer jennifer tilly i just saw a tweet come about that come come up on yeah. twitter across my timeline the the other day you have to tell you have to tell that story because i think i actually saw that video before i met you as well and i'm just like who the who the fuck is you know who who is this guy so you got to tell that that story for the people yeah so what like the first opportunity i got from doing man stuff. I had done the bro athlon. That's how I met like Levitan and Bales. And we had done that. And then this site, um, this wasn't the, this was before the poker go, there was a site poker tube and they were basically kind of like an aggregator for curating poker content, like on their mm -hmm. site. And they're like, Hey, we'd love for you to make some videos for us. And I was like, yeah, this mm -hmm. sounds fun. Get finally getting paid to, to make some videos. <laughs> um, so I started doing that. I did this spoof, uh, called missing Tom Dwan, um, where, you know, Mans was hunting for Tom Dwan, who was a, you know, still kind of a legendary mysterious <laughs> poker figure. They ended up sending me out to the world series of poker. Uh, our, our mutual friend, Pat Corain, like I had enough of a budget where I was able to fly Pat out, put him up and pay him to shoot my videos for me. Uh, <laughs> they just had like, a, and so they're like, yeah, play the world series of poker. So I was there for a week shooting vlogs, you know, doing all this. So I had kind of built up a little bit of that. They, um, then I got asked by poker night in America to come kind of serve as like this commentator ref type thing at these heads up tournaments. So I got to be, you know, Phil Hellmuth and Doug Polk and, and all of that. And then that kind of led to, I met Brett who works over, uh, Brett Hanks, who works over at poker go and they were putting together like what they called a character game. And so they had uncle Ron, who's a very funny character that does stuff, uh, with poker go and, you know, Jennifer Tilly being an actress, uh, Smitty from Bar barstool was yep. there and they're like, Hey, do you want to come out for this game? <laughs> and I was like, man, this is, you know, above my stakes. I, I don't even play poker that much, but I'm like, how am I passing up on this? So I, I got on the flight, went out there and yeah, we, we had a ton of fun. It was very intimidating too. I even got a little bit of a stake because I just wanted to be more comfortable, you know, sitting at the yeah. table, but it's like, I'm sitting there with 2000 in front of me and Jennifer Tilly just has like a rack, uh, and no rack jokes, please. Someone already did this, had, had $30,000, just a rack sitting right there. And so I was like, God damn it. But luckily the drinks were flowing and, uh, and yeah, it was a, it was an incredible time. Oh man. That is, that is an absolutely priceless story. It is funny. That's a pe people like that's how that's how they got introduced to man's got in, got introduced to you. So it's been a funny evolution. At what point, though, did you like, you know, we, we had talked a little bit again during the pandemic, actually about some very different. We were both in a very different place, I think, at that time, trying to figure out the projects that we we're going to be working on. We somehow landed in a in a different space. But how did you kind of land on basically what you're doing now? Right. You got lulls going. You obviously had have had ship chasing and you have splash play. You have, you know, obviously club top shot with, with the, the top shot boom and stuff. But like, how did you like land on all that? Did you like come up with these ideas? Was it just like, I'm going to experiment or how did it all come to be? 
Yeah. I mean, the man's one was actually kind of a good thing because I was like envisioning it. You know, it's like, what are the things I'm into and what would this character, you know, be wanting to get into initially? It was meant to, you know, spoof the like hotshot DFS bro. Um, And then poker was a logical kind of extension of that. And the the poker thing actually started. I hadn't even thought about really getting into poker again. I I played a ton when I was in high school and was into it, but, you know, an old part of my life. But then I was doing my annual trip that I do with my college buddies. Um, and we always go and play poker at the Excalibur. It's just like a shitty, it doesn't even exist anymore, that poker room, but it's just like a tradition. And I was like, you know what? I just started doing mans. I was like, I'll just go shoot a vlog playing as mans this, this, uh, this night. And it ended up being one of the first videos that blew up. And so that's what led into that other stuff. But I guess more generally, I feel like with my stuff, I just, I really try to, because for so long until, you know, six months ago, I just did all this as a hobby. And so I never like did anything as a grind or because I thought it would get me somewhere. I was like, I'm just going to only do stuff that I enjoy, whether that's comedy or with poker, DFS, crypto, NFTs, like just follow my interests and just make content and have fun out of that. And now I've just been super fortunate that whether through, you know, sponsorships and freelancing and stuff like that, that I've been able to, you know, kind of make a full-time living out of it, but really just doing whatever interests me because I feel, I feel like that's, you know, I always think of, um, like stand-up comedians, they always say, you don't, you don't tell a joke. You think the audience is going to find funny. You say something that you think is funny. And then because it's so infectious, the audience is like, Oh, I see your point of view. And that's kind of how I feel like with content. Like I don't want to make stuff that I think people really want. I probably could do better on YouTube if I did that. (laughs) Just like, I'm going to do stuff that I enjoy and and hope that uh, other people enjoy it as well. Yeah, I remember listening to I think it was you went on Davis, you went on the take cast with Davis, and you talked about some of this <clears throat> that you just talked about on there. And that that's one of the few things in this space, I feel like that is, has always like kind of st- stuck with me. And like part of how I try to operate as well, like whether or not, like you said, I get a ton of views or, or, you know, become some super successful person in this space. It's like, when I get to be 80, it's like, if I got a thousand views on this or 2000 views on this, am I really going to give a shit? But I, if I was miserable the whole time doing it, or if I was really enjoying myself the whole time, the whole time doing it, like that is going to impact, you know, the, the quality of, of my life. So I think that is like legitimately good advice for like, not just if you want to, you know, if you want to create <laughs> meme content or, uh, or, or your, your real life or not. So what about some of these are some questions that people have, but that's, yeah. but that's okay. What about like, what are the future plans? What's like, what, what, what's next? Have you even had time to like sit down and think about, uh, you know, like 2022? Yeah, I think it, no, I have started to think about stuff. And I was even talking about this on Lulz, I think two weeks ago where I'm like, you know, now that I'm kind of just on my own and I have people that I work with, but I'm really, you know, responsible for like, do I just want to run back? what I did this year. And like, I had a great time this year and I, I, I would probably have a great time doing it again, but thinking, you know, how can I grow? And I, I, and it's, it's more like the thing I've been thinking about is how can I like maximize my time? And so one thing I've been, you know, thinking about is, is trying to find like a video editor. Uh, and that's something I'm working on now where it's like, I'm already doing this content. I'm making it now. I just want to get more out of it. And so yeah. those are the kind of things I'm thinking about. It's like, I don't want to add anything more to my plate. If anything, I'm trying to take stuff off my plate and just kind of that idea of working smarter, not harder with things. And, um, 
on the other hand, it's like all the shows I do and the stuff like I do it because I have a blast. I love talking to Brian every week. I love doing the show with SPAC, ship chasing. Uh, we have a blast doing that. Like all those different things. Like I already can't wait for this summer and in our best ball shows um, when we're having those conversations in the middle of July. So yeah, it's like I, I'm torn because I don't want to trim anything back, but I'm also thinking, you know, I have to be realistic um, in either getting more help or, or scaling back. And so that's kind of, now I just like want to find that sweet spot basically. And I'm not sure where it's at. Yeah. Th that's gotta be the toughest part, right? Is finding it, it's, it's like everything. It's like in the, the best ball stuff. Like I always, I always kind of call it like, we have to try to thread the needle, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm as gal brained as they get. And then there's other people that are just like, you know, super, how do I make the, you know, make the best team, get the, the best advance rate. But at the end of the day, it's always that there's that you're trying to find this perfect this, this perfect middle ground. So the same kind of advice that also works in like this best ball space is that that's what it is. And like, we just did the playoff best ball contest. Yeah. And like, that's all it was. It's like, look, I know I need to find a team that is live to take first in the Super Bowl, but how the hell do I get there? And like, you tell me who has that answer. Like God knows I don't have that answer, but you, that's what you, every draft you're trying to navigate that. And it was like, I mean, shit, this year had to be the most difficult year of them all because what you needed to get there is not what's going to win you anything in the Super Bowl. So like, again, threading that needle, you know, like you said, is just like, it's, it, it's like everything. It's honestly, it's like everything in life, honestly, is figuring out, you know, you, you, you want to have as much fun as possible, but you also do need to make money and, you know, you do need to yeah. do that. So how do you, how do you, you know, thread that needle? Also just you saying it reminded me, and I, I don't know if this is just recency bias or if it's a hot take, but, I feel like those that playoff format, the 10 round draft is like the most fun, intellectually interesting best ball format there is. Even the time on it, too. Like, we love doing best ball drafts, but like, still, you got to carve out 45 minutes yeah. to do one of those. Like, doing one of those drafts in 15 minutes and how much <laughs> you have to think going through that. And you just have NFL playoffs. So it's all the best teams and best players. Like, I had so much fun with that format. It, it really is my favorite, I think. I have told this story to a few people. This is actually, this is no shit. This is basically how Spike Week became to be a thing. <clears throat> so last year, it wasn't the NFL playoff best ball contest. It was the NBA playoff mm. best ball contest, which is actually, I think, maybe even more um, intellectually, like, probably like confusing because it's a series, Right. So it's not even just like, did, did my team make the Super Bowl? And like, how do I get, how, you know, how do I get the Chiefs versus the Rams? And how do I win first in that plus get there? Right. I need Gabe Davis plus Rams and Chiefs. It's like, no, you need them to play enough games. Like, you can't have sweeps. Right. You, if, if the team that sweep, you know, if the Bucks sweep every series to get to the finals, it's like Giannis can't put up enough points in four games when Steph's playing seven games right you know and so like there's all the mental gymnastics around that and i was like i had no intentions on like really getting deep into it but last year you know we got into underdog and so i just started diving in i did a couple drafts and i'm like that was like the most fun fucking draft i've ever done in my entire life going through the 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 hurt the mental hurdles of putting this team together so i went crazy on it that didn't like go didn't have a monster year but made some money had some really really super live teams that actually had bucks and sons on it and I was just like, after that was over, I'm like, dude, this format 
is unreal. Like this, like no one has even discovered NBA playoff best ball. Yeah. And I'm like, and it was like the most fun I've ever had drafting. I'm like, now multiply that over different sports and different formats and all that kind of stuff. And so that's when I took it to like my bosses and I was just like, guys, this is the, like, this is it. This is the future. I know DFS is bigger and it will probably always be bigger or whatever, but I'm like, this is the next thing. And like, I kind of made this pitch and they were just like, yeah, sure. Go, go for it. <laughs> like, like, you know, I'm lucky enough to have, have bosses that kind of have let me run, run with it. And I mean, we're seeing this best ball space just go absolutely nuts. So next question, what do you think it's going to look like? Like what are the contests going to look like in 20, in 2022? Like, let's just say on, on underdog, what are they going to do to like one up what three, three puppies and uh and and obviously bbm and a big dog like what's 2022 contest look like yeah it's curious to see like what their their goals are are going to be you know obviously last year with the million in one prize pool you know making that that big splash um yeah i mean to me it's like the proof of concept is now out there right like people have this appetite and thirst for for best ball and so now I, it would be nice to see more kind of inventive contests and messing with more formats. Like, you know, there's all the stuff we've all talked about. Can we get a, a super flex uh, best ball, you know, yeah. contest? Um, can we get, I saw you guys talking about a live final type format. I mean, how fun would it be if you and me were able to sweat that team down in Florida together? I mean, like that, like that's kind of stuff. So just building out the ecosystem more and more, I, I have a feeling that, the prize pools and and that stuff's going to take care of itself, but it's just like, what are the more kind of creative ways? Um, you know, what were you, the people here, we're all just going to blast off into these no matter what, (laughs) but I do like the idea of pulling in more people with kind of creative, creative hooks and, and different contests that might, you know, there might just be people who are like, Hey, I'm not going to bother with this until August. But what if it was like, well, we're doing super flex only is going to be in July, you know, or like, this is your one chance. Like, I think there's some fun stuff with that. I I imagine that there's like an almost infinite amount of contest types, you know, like scoring types, like you said, super flex, right. Tight end premium, um, just all sorts of, I mean, they're already trying it with like rookies and sophomores, sophomores and juniors, all that stuff that there's just like an infinite amount of contest types. And I'm, you know, that, that's the great thing about underdog, but like that they're leading this space and it's the perfect company to kind of lead the space because they're willing to kind of like experiment. Like that's the only way we're ever going to figure out what is going to work and what's going to be the future is like they will. I would almost guarantee they will launch some super flex contest. I don't know when, but it'll happen. Right. They'll launch. I don't know. You know, you guys talked about that. I thought was really interesting was like the full all the way through the Super Bowl. Um, contest they will probably do something like that because they're willing to like invest in that and just see how it goes like if they lose you know it's like you know DraftKings you know this is no shade at at DraftKings but like in their DFS contest like it's it's sometimes it's a joke on what the the contest that they'll roll out there because they they don't want it to not fill because their their processes we can always launch another one and people will fill it and we won't lose the rake it's like underdog does the opposite they're like push the, what what was the second or third uh, puppy or whatever, like a, a million dollar total prize pool yeah. on a $5 contest after they had already launched other ones and they needed to fill BBM. So anyway, that, you know, it's, it's nice that we're, we're being led by them. And I think that they're going to do a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, this is, you say, you, you can say it, Johnny, I'll, I'll refrain from using those exact words, but I agree. They're willing to push the limits and, and I love that. 
Yeah, Liam um, doesn't. I don't know if Liam heard our idea of using the the full playoffs uh, for the best ball contest. But the beautiful irony would have been these <laughs> non Liam Gabe Davis teams just blowing past him uh, <laughs> in the playoffs since his uh, his team didn't have a uh, Gabe Davis on it. Where is there was a com- there was a comment that somebody said uh, how much Gabe Davis Liam had? Here we go. Willis said he had sixty seven. <laughs> percent Gabe Davis and he would have been in for you know he would have won the million dollars on a non-Gabe Davis team and like you said had all these Gabe yeah. Davis teams uh fly by him that would have been that would have been so perfect um so I, many I people think, don't go ahead sorry oh no I was just gonna say that the one I guess the my personal counter argument to my own thing too is like just for how I like you know uh, and I think you're the same. I have this addictive personality. And so <laughs> I sometimes will kind of pump the brakes on say like the rookie sophomore stuff, because I'm like, if I take the time to understand the ADPs, do my research, do my strategy and start drafting, like I can't stop. Like I will yep. not be able to stop. And so all the different game types that it starts to have like almost this overwhelming, like, Oh my God, this <laughs> is so much more work thinking through this. Whereas, you know, with the playoff contest, it's like, okay, we can just blast off. And once you get familiar with the ADPs, like you just cannot stop drafting. I guess what I'm saying is I can't become Eagles. Eagles, this, this man <laughs> is an absolute monster. Every time I'm like, all right, all is calm in the best ball streets. We're just a little lull here. And it's like, nope, just blast it off. I mean, that guy's a maniac. <laughs> I respect Eagles more than anybody yeah. in this space because like he's what got me to do the 2022 draft. I was like, yeah. like he, he shared it in, in discord. He shared, he's like, uh, oh, I'm going to hop in this 2022 draft. I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude. It's, it's not even conference championship weekend and we're doing 2022 drafts. And then of course I entered it because I'm like, well, why, why the hell not? And so I guess I'm not any better, but um, I think, I think like the, uh, going back to like 2022 and, and all that, somebody mentioned that like people don't even know, like some of these formats, they don't even know that they exist. And so like, you're, you're going to bring like FFPC part of what like, FFPC probably maybe doesn't do the best job of necessarily marketing and all that kind of stuff. And obviously um, there's perks to best ball that um, don't exist in like the main event, right. Because of the season long, you know, the waivers and all that kind of stuff, but like tight end premium is really cool right? Superflex is really cool. It's just most people don't play it. I just, I just this year got my longest home league dynasty league. That's like super involved, huge rosters and all that. I just got them to go to half point PBR. I couldn't even get them to go to, I'm trying to push for Superflex and all these different things. And I could only get like half point PBR. And these guys like do take it fairly serious, but like, just to like, you know, to, to steal from crypto, like we're so early <laughs> because like nobody, no, nobody like even believes in any of this stuff. And we're already having like multiple million dollar, million dollar contests. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Harbs was asking me up above to disclose uh, pumping my, my bags talking about underdog, but another thing about it that <laughs> does make it so easy is just when the UI is, is so good. Like I, I would be blasting off on DraftKings too in those contests if they had an app that was like underdogs. Like I would be all about yeah. it because those drafts were super soft and it literally is just like, man, you, you got to work for it to go do the drafts over there. Like if they just put it in my hand with this beautiful UI, I, I'd probably be doing that too. Yeah, it's awful. And I did it. I, I got 150 into That's the incredible. DK Millie and it was it was an exhausting process. It really was. Like you said, underdog, it was like, I don't know. I got, I didn't max. I don't think I got to a max on any of the contests, but I got you know close on like a lot of them. 
and like, I don't know, it didn't feel nearly as stressful. Like I could do a bunch, like you could do not even cause you know, we, we have, we've had the slow versus fast draft debate plenty of times yeah. in the off season, but like I'm doing fast drafts and I could do several, like Liam was talking, Liam, the psychopath that, that he is, he's like, I, got, I think I got to like eight fast drafts at once. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's a little bit. Ex- I still call bullshit on that. <laughs> we need proof. Liam. Yeah. Liam, we need to get the screen share. And yes, show me the rosters need, after. <laughs> and the rosters. Yeah, we need to see the rosters. I guarantee you that the winner of BBM2 was not in one of the times that you did uh, yeah. eight drafts at, at once, Liam. So um, real quick, we got like, uh, you know, 10 or so minutes. There's no real hard cap. But I got a, I got a little bit of uh, uh, some people had some questions. Okay. And so because it's you, we're going to do them on a random. We don't have to necessarily hit all of them. But we got like 10 or so questions um, that people that some people sent in that I thought that I thought were really good. So I want to hit hit some of them on a randomizer wheel, since that's obviously very fitting for you with the randomizer. I like it. Randomizer shows. Uh Oh, what does your yeah. wife? <laughs> First one. What does your wife think of what you do for a living? Yeah, no, she, she's been, uh, Lauren has been just so incredibly, uh, supportive of me and also just in how much she puts up with for, you know, a lot of my shows, like my Tuesday nights are now club top shop. My Wednesdays I do lols in ship chasing. And then I was doing the showdown crams, you know? So there was a legit, a time during the season where it was like, our only like one true free night would have been Friday and Saturdays, um, where I didn't have anything, you know, going on. And so, yeah, she's been very supportive. And I think kind of always seeing kind of like my vision and my goals too, of like, Hey, I'm going to have to bust my ass here for a couple years. Um, and there's going to be lots of kind of time sacrifices, but ultimately I think I'll get to where I want to be. And she never like wavered on that. She's like, it sounds like I'm, you know, just bullshitting, but she's never guilt tripped me once. Like there's never cut like, Oh, you're going to do this again. So I, I truly am incredibly fortunate. The kind of, I don't want to say leash because that sounds, you know, like as a weird derogatory, <laughs> but the long leash yeah. she gave me to just kind of do everything that I thought would, you know, be best for kind of my, my long term because, you know, it, it was for a while, like doing my day job, which, you know, luckily was a pretty cushy job, but it takes a lot of time to have a job and then try to, you know, build this stuff up on the side. Yeah. It's one thing. Um, this was maybe the question I was most interested in, which is, I don't know what that says about me, but, um, I guess maybe because I'm doing a little bit of the same, same thing that you're doing. And, and also like the other crazy part about this is like, you're, you're also playing DFS, right? You're playing best ball. It's not even just like the job of doing the stream and everything you have to do behind the scenes. It's like, I also have to draft teams. I also have to build teams. Then like, you know, at part of the reward for doing like building DFS teams, like I want to watch the games yeah. on Sunday. Right. And so like, I've been doing this for years and years now. And it's like, you know, you uh, uh okay. Sunday for what, you know, 17 weeks, 18 weeks, you know, and then playoffs is, is taken up, you know, and I, and I, gamble on a lot of the other sports right i'm grinding dfs on other on other sports and so um i do think it takes like people people definitely under, underestimate what it takes from like your spouse or family or whatever to uh to be able to allow you to do these kinds of things because it's a pretty big sacrifice for them yeah you know and i like i know there are some people that do content but don't play as much but that would be so hard for me part of what is in like just the way i do content is like I'm participating heavily in these things and then just kind of sharing 
my experiences with you, what I've learned, <laughs> my process. I'm going to fuck things up. I'm going to, you'll watch me on a stream, misclick during a draft. I mean, like that, that's kind of how I do it. So I, and it's fun, right? Like it would be so hard to, to talk about and do this stuff or even just try to talk as a thought leader and not actually be in the mix, understanding how things are going. So it is to me like part and parcel with this. I don't even know how you could untangle those two things. Right. And like coming from the, the, the DFS space, you know, people get a lot of flack for that, right? Like if you create content and you don't have, um, you know, and you aren't playing a ton and I do get that. I, I absolutely get that. But I, I think so, sometimes what gets confused is like, you don't have to be like empire maker, like no one is saying you have to like, you know, take a second mortgage out in your house to go play in the Thunderdome to, you know, to create content. It's like, no, but like you can, you can have a little bit, you know, of skin in the game, you know, like again, like go do just draft like 50 BBM teams. Like if you want to play in best ball, just like, I feel like most people, if you're actually truly invested or, or like max the puppy, like, like I feel like everybody can probably afford that. That's going into this. So like, I think again, threading the needle, it's like, you don't have to, you know, you, I, I'm a pretty massive degenerate. You don't have to do what I do, but like, there's, there's, you know, I, it, like you said, it wouldn't be very fun for me to like, like yeah. if I, if I entered five BBM teams and then, and did like a hundred streams, it's like, what is even, what is even the point of this? Yeah. So let's spin the wheel. Let's spin the wheel. All righty. There's, there's some good, there's some good questions on here. I should have hit remove. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, hopefully we don't hit it again. Uh, we co we covered a little bit of this, but that's okay. We can cover it really quickly again. Oh no, different question. Sorry. So top tip for the for the audio only people. Top tip for people wanting to take fantasy sports seriously. Yeah, I, I think seriously is different, right, than saying I want to you know make a living out of it, which yep. I think both of us would agree. Like I, I would be dead in the water if I if all of a sudden <laughs> it was like you can't make content, you can't do all this other stuff, but you just need to be a professional fantasy sports player. One like that would terrify me too, especially the way we play right. And understanding yes. the potential swings, like even the bankroll that you would need to justify how we play to make a living on it. Like you probably need like a half million dollar bankroll to justify like to, to do that, which is absurd. So I think the idea of playing seriously, the way I translate that in my head of like, am I getting it in, in a plus EV way? And yeah. I think, you know, that's like all the content, you know, that we're trying to do here and even when I'm doing my DFS play and I've gotten better as a DFS player in that just making sure that in each individual spot that you are making the best possible decisions. And often that means like not playing scared, like not being afraid to lose, knowing like you look at how these prize pools are structured and so much money is up top. And if you're not giving yourself a realistic chance at first, you are probably not taking it seriously. Or you're not probably not giving it. Um, the, the most plus EV route. So I think to me, that's, that's the thing too, of just make sure that you're playing within your bankroll so that you can play optimally, which is often playing in a very fragile or, you know, non-risk averse way. Yeah. I think uh, we just, both of you and I just experienced together the um, top heavy structure of these. And it's hard for people, I think, even to understand it until you experience it, like have a DFS sweat, where the, the prize pool is 300,000 and it's 100,000 to first place and you get like fourth and you get like 10 grand and you lose by two points. 
It's like you lost first by two points and it's a $90,000 swing from life-changing money to like $10,000 is great. Everyone would want $10,000, but that's not really like changing your life, right? A hundred thousand probably changes a lot of people's lives. And like you lose by a couple of points and it's that, that big of a swing, even first to second, second sometimes is like 25,000. It's like, you know, that sh- in the, in, we just did, we finished top, top 10, right? Uh, ninth or 10th or something like that. in in best ball mania two for like 20 grand. Again, no one is hating on 20 grand. 20 grand is awesome. I'm very happy to have made the money that we made, but we were n- very few points away from a hundred, 200, 250, a million, right? Obviously Liam kind of ran away with it, but we weren't that far away from like, seriously huge money right five hundred thousand dollars and it's like if you're not playing if you're not willing to accept the risk to try to get first place it's like you're just gonna bleed yourself to death like that and that is really what happened because even getting 10th doesn't sustain you for that long because it's really not that that much money with the way the payout structures are yeah, and we had a stretch there when we were, you know, sweating <clears throat> Devonte Adams catches where like literally a single catch could have been your entire summer of best ball entries for that entire year, like a $5,000 jump. Like I, I assume most people here would agree with a $5,000, you, you know, you could max out BBM, splash around in the puppies, like you could free roll your entire thing. That was on one single catch. And then to your point, two catches, we're talking about paying for, two to three years worth, a couple more catches. You're talking about you are a profitable player lifetime in best ball unless <laughs> you right. truly go off the deep end. So like the margins are are so thin there. Yeah, that's that's absolutely so true. Let's see, let's see if we can hit a couple of more of these questions because there's some, there's some good ones on here. You kind of, I think you kind of talked about this one. So maybe a little bit. Quicker. Any, any other sports you talked about USFL, MMA, anything else beyond that? Yeah, I, I, I do think, yeah, like USFL, MMA, I mean, it was, it was funny. I was listening to, uh, to, to, uh, Blender's podcast, uh, the other day too. And just how he, he just simplified it in a, in a way that Blender's good at simplifying. And a lot of content is just explaining numbers on a spreadsheet. And that's definitely, <laughs> you know, what I've done with the Sims. Like people asking me for showdown takes and I'm like, I can tell you what the projected ownership is and I can tell you what the Sims say and I can tell you what, you know, constructions are showing up most frequently. And so anytime I say to myself, well, oh, I, I don't know these sports. Well, I'm like, I can probably interpret MMA data in a, in a DFS way and I enjoy that sport. So yeah, I, I could see myself getting into other sports, but kind of going back to the taking a break thing, like I do need like uh, a couple months here to recharge. So um, I wouldn't want to roll into like, if we had to do this NFL season like this with the DFS content load, just like 52 weeks out of the year, like I I would burn out. So it's kind of finding that thing. And that's why I feel like USFL might be perfect. Cause it's like, you get your break, do USFL, then we're at a best fall season, bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. And it's fun. Like, and people like by that time probably have like an itch for some football. Right. Um, that's what like the XFL, did you play XFL DFS? Yeah, it was a blast. Like, I mean, that was, it was awesome blast. Like you could only make like five grand or something like that, yeah. even in the higher, but it was so much fun. Like people were just itching. For, I was doing freaking, um, tags in lineup HQ and like, <laughs> like, like having, having like literal, like hour long conversations with Jamino on the back end. Yeah. About like, should we project Donald Parham for this? Or should we, you know, like, like, but like, cause people were into it. We did shows. We did, we did XFL oh, shows yeah. because people were, were so into it. Yeah. That was we're, fun. we're insatiable. Yes. 
That was fun. Oh, I think we hit. Yeah, yeah. Let me remove it. Let me remove it. Yeah, Liam it's nice says to do a wheel that's not for a giveaway. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. You talked about this a little bit, but anything else? The biggest thing that you learned? Yeah, just like I this year, my big difference that I did well was I balanced my exposures a lot harder. I didn't get fixated on the guy that I I didn't do any sixty seven percent Gabe Davis's. That was good, <laughs> but now I want to be even more price sensitive throughout the season. I, I think I caught myself chasing steam on guys. I had already gotten plenty of exposure to at better prices and I just couldn't help myself chasing AJ Dillon, you know, into the ninth yeah. round, stuff like that. So to me insane, like Trey Lance, you know, we all fell in love with him. Hey, that was great when it was in the 13th. Now we're chasing him, you know, into the 12th, the 11th, the 10th. <laughs> um, so kind of catching myself and being like, you packed your bags and and now it's time to make some other bets that are, are more price sensitive. I do just want to point out really quick. I didn't even notice this, but Paul points out just a couple of best ball whales hanging out in the chat. And there's literally a conversation right now between Liam and Tony, the two guys who won a million dollars. This is, this is, this is Tony who won the DraftKings Millie maker. And obviously Liam who won, who won BVM two, two, two guys that just won a million dollars is just having a back and forth casually in the chat. Well, I mean, if there's any uh, better tribute to or understanding like how important niche content is, it's like, well, well where where else are people going to get have a, a water cooler for best ball chat than uh, over at Spike Week? So I, I think we all found our home. Yeah, exactly. All right. Just a couple couple more. Um, oh, I think this is a good one. You, I, I think you talked about this, but maybe not. What's the first like piece of fantasy content? Yeah, it did? was it was the fantasy football uh, comedy hour. Um, yeah, yeah, we did, we did have, we did try to do more generic sketches. I remember one of our, um, uh, first sketches we did, and we teamed up with this other, uh, sketch group of these funny ladies at the theater. And it was like, uh, a parody of a sex hotline, but it was guys who just needed to have a place to call in and talk about their fantasy teams. <laughs> and so the ladies would be like, Oh, you had Gabriel Davis at 67%. Oh, sweetie. That's so hot. So like we had written a whole sketch like that. That was one of our more successful ones just because everyone understood uh, the premise. So yeah, I was doing content like that, you know, in Cambridge in like 2015. <laughs> oh my gosh. And can you remind everyone what your, um, FanDuel username. Yes. Is. Yes. Uh, uh, as soccer Dave will never let me forget. Uh, yep. it was funny because my FanDuel username, when I first, <laughs> I think I first played on FanDuel in 2013 and it was revert Z top, which is my DraftKings handle. I started doing that show and you know, your, your marketing brain kicks in and you're like, man, if I win a tournament, like I, I need to rep the fantasy football comedy <laughs> hour. So I submit a ticket to FanDuel support. Can I change my name? And they say, sure. DraftKings wouldn't let you do this. And I was like, all right, the FF comedy hour <laughs> underscore Pete submit. I'm brilliant. Uh, and now I, I'm stuck with it forever. And uh, it probably leads to me not playing on FanDuel that much. <laughs> yeah, you, you could be the best FanDuel player ever, but like just by having that name, you're like, mm, I think we'll stick to, I think I'll stick to DraftKings. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It still gets I know. Me Looking back at old usernames is so funny. Cause we all, it's like aim <laughs> usernames where you just don't even think about it and then don't realize what a big part of your life it's going to be. Yep. And that is, that is so true. And, and I think poker, that's what like, 
you know, all these, like, I love, I love to make fun of uh, my buddy Adam Shear because he has ship, ship my money. It's been his, you know, poker yeah. for, for whatever. I'm like, dude, it's like you have an aim, like, just use your name as your, as, as your username. You know, you're, you're an adult now. You're more than 30 years old. Yeah. So here's a good one. We, we, this is something we don't ever really hear from you about like your actual like sports interests or whatever. I think you've talked about, you know, that you're a Broncos fan, but what yeah. about like actual favorite athletes ever? Yeah. I feel like I'm such um like a cyclical person too, with like going through, you know, stages of my life. But like, I, I think for, yeah, some fun answers of back when I was a kid, um, like when I first got into the NBA, uh, it was John Starks. And then mm. on the Nuggets, it was actually Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Oh um, yeah, do you remember him? Of course. Yeah, just lightning quick. Just had an incredibly quick release. Obviously, also had all the uh, the controversy stuff with the with the you know <laughs> with the praying and all that. Yes. But uh, he was just electric. Him and in those early '90s teams with Mutombo and uh, Lafonso Ellis and all that. But yeah, I would say Starks. Um, for some reason, like I love Jordan, but there was something about Starks as this underdog where he looked like the guy that shouldn't necessarily be out on the court and that he's just hanging with with Jordan always appealed to me as a super short kid playing basketball. And then, uh, yeah, and then when the when the Broncos won those first two championships with Elway in 97 and 98, like I was obsessed with those teams, the Rod Smith and yep, McCaffrey. Yep. Terrell Davis teams. Uh, so yeah, I would say those, those are probably the big ones from, uh, from my childhood. Yeah. The, the best man in my wedding was a diehard Denver Broncos fan. So like, yeah, Terrell Davis, John Elway. Um, I, I was very familiar with those because, you know, my, my, my best friend growing up was like an absolute diehard um, Denver, Denver Broncos fan. And uh, whoops. And it, it's, it, it was difficult for me uh growing up because i was a diehard st louis rams fan <clears throat> and obviously they are now the la rams yeah. and they were they were ripped away from me so i only had a few years they were good years the greatest show on turf were that was that was a whole lot of fun but i was like i think the year that i was 11 when they won the first super bowl so like just getting into fandom right like that's yeah. what like, i cooked me on football you're like holy shit kurt warner you know isaac bruce tory holt marshall Falk, blah 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 and like that, I was like, oh my God, this is it. Like, I, I love football, <laughs> you know, like uh, I absolutely love football. And my dad was a football coach and all that. So it was a natural transition. And then they, I, they got, you know, they got ripped away from me um, after they finally started to make a comeback. Uh, you know, it was Jeff Fisher, but they, they were finally starting to turn around. Then they get McVay, right. And make the Super Bowl. So my fandom, that was kind of, I was interested in that question because my fandom, like I have very few teams I really even root for at, yeah. at all. Like I used to be like a huge fan of tons of teams. And now I only have a, like a couple that I actually even care about. I know it was interesting too, because I was hanging out with my college buddies this weekend and it seemed like one thing I noticed is because I had a bunch of friends from San Diego who just like were done with the Chargers when they moved. Like mm, they yeah. really took that personally. But then I also, some of my NorCal friends who root for the Raiders they didn't feel as betrayed and they like still root for the Raiders and don't care and I thought that was interesting. interesting how like the I guess how the Chargers situation went down that it was more it also I guess because they were saying stuff like you know you gotta the taxpayers need to pay for this new stadium or we go I guess it <laughs> yeah. they took it harder but it, it's it's just laundry right I'd rather just root yeah. for players that's kind of before we get into this question real quick that, that's kind of what happened with St. Louis actually St. Louis actually just won a big lawsuit uh, well they settled um, with the Rams 
uh, and the city was also really triggered by they, they settled for way too little money. But basically the Rams backdoored like, you know, the NFL and the owners and everything like backdoored the Rams to pull them away from St. Louis and send them to L.A. Because, I mean, the team wants or the, the, the NFL wants teams in L.A. more than they, I mean, no one gives a shit about St. Louis. Right. So they wanted an L.A. team. And so they kind of uh, skated the rules to get a team out there. So that's another same. I feel how your your Chargers friends feel. It's like, yeah, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. But it was like the way that it all went down was painful. So next question is, what about your dream job when you were a child? You did you aspire to be an influencer as you are today, or what did you aspire? A doctor, a lawyer? What what was what was young Peter Overzet trying to become? Yeah, I did. I did have the you know the the super irrational one. I did think I was going to play in the NBA uh, when I was like six, <laughs> uh, and then I I ratcheted it back, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to play for Duke. Uh, I wanted to go play okay. for the Duke Blue Devils, um, and then I really started to get more realistic. I would say in. <laughs> in middle school and then early high school was when I started, uh, I did some like broadcast stuff. They had like some kind of thing where the schools were able to kind of put on their own news broadcast and you like practice mm-hmm. it. And then you got to go down to the NBC studios and actually oh, record wow. a 30 minute segment. So I, I really enjoyed doing that. And then I did, I did a ton of journalism in high school, like covering uh, the local high school sports and stuff for, for the city paper. So I think early on, I, I did always kind of aspire to doing the, the media side of stuff. That's, that's interesting. It's so it's a very clearly a natural transition. And I feel like most people like in this space, that's not at all how it works. Right. It's like, I mean, I have a finance degree, <laughs> yeah. but you know, like, uh, and I worked, I ended up working in it, like, uh, you know, people it come like most people don't come from like a, a more natural kind of content creation. It is funny because there's so many smart people who are learning kind of content on the fly, like from just getting reps. And then uh, and then I'm like the opposite. I, I was always done content, not really afraid being in front of the camera on stage, but having to learn how to be smart about uh, fantasy sports. Yeah, uh, that was definitely me. I was not I mean, I'm still certainly not some some content expert, but it was like like it, even when like I had done RG shows, I had done done content and all that kind of stuff. But it like I was actually like a project manager at RG was what I got. Hired I remember to, that's when I met you. Yeah, was what I got hired hired to be. I was running um, some products and stuff that we had, and then over time shifted into more of the actual front facing DFS kind of stuff. And like even like when I started Spike Week, I hadn't done enough content to where certainly not solo on camera for an hour. Like I, it, it's a lot more difficult than people think that it is. Now I don't really care. I just fire it up and talk about whatever I want to talk about. But it, 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 it takes a lot of like a lot of practice to even just feel not even be good, but just feel comfortable. You may still be bad, but you're you're, you're at least comfortable. Well, and that's why the chat are the real heroes because uh, yeah, neither yeah. of us would be able to do our streams without being able to uh, to interact with you guys and giving us, you know, needling us, giving us stuff to talk about, questions. That does really uh, make it work. So we we appreciate you guys. It, it really does. And this comment is pure gold, by the way, from, <laughs> yeah. from, from Alex. I hope to, for the audio, I hope to stumble into the alternate universe where Pete was the hated white guy on Duke. For Pete was Grayson Allen. And in a, in a different version of this simulation, you were the Grayson Allen of the Duke Blue Devils. I think I like legit, that was part of the appeal for me was to just be one of the, the assholes. And I, that's kind of what kind of, cause I played basketball through high school and that was always kind of my style. I was the, always the one that, 
I would be playing like a little bit harder defense than the opposition would want me to like, Hey, it's just a summer rec game. Like, will you just chill <laughs> out? Why are you full court pressing me right now? So yeah, I I've always had a little blue, blue, uh, Duke blue devil in my game. I don't think people would have guessed that you would be the Christian Leitner of your high school basketball team, but, um, that's something we, that's something we learned. I know. Willis, you're such a homer. No one yeah. needs for Duke. No uh, one needs for Duke. We'll hit these what? rapid fire. We kind of talked about this too. Anything else that we didn't touch on? What's going to be new from Peter Overzet in 2022? Yeah. I mean, I need to, it, to me, it's, it's more just kind of improving and building upon, you know, everything that I've been doing. I, 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 I actually have some kind of opportunity coming up that is, pretty unique and new but it's still in its infancy so i can't really talk about it but yeah, yeah. you could see some stuff but all in, all in the same sphere of of doing content and um and yeah i uh you know willis shout out to willis and all the guys too in the in the deposit kingdom discord that has been this year just such a new thing for me too uh, on my to-do list is like i need to make some welcome docs and some more you know <laughs> rules and how people can navigate it so um yeah. I, you know, just improving on all this stuff we've already been doing is, is, is top of my mind. The discord thing is so big. I don't know how it's been for you, but definitely for us, like it, it's, it's crazy. Just the power of the community when everybody can be together at all times, when like you have an idea, yeah. like you just toss it in there. Right. And like you have other people to talk to and there's like always someone there to, whether it's me or, you know, or you or, or, you know, Paul, like you said, Willis, Rob, all these people, Liam that are in here are in these discords and like, it, you're able to chat with them about anything that comes to the top of your mind. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. We talked about what you did before uh, you got into to content creation, but other than like your profession, if you don't mind. Yeah. If you don't mind no, saying. I, I worked at a software company. I think I started in 2012. I'd been at the same place until uh, this summer and uh, it was a marketing and copywriting position. I ended up being uh, at the end, the uh, head of communications there. Um, and it was just a small software company. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good setup, <laughs> lots of flexibility, uh, you know, started even before the pandemic working from home a couple days a week. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a really good, uh, job for me during this time where I was kind of pursuing all this stuff. And even my, uh, my boss there at the time, like she knew I had aspirations to do other things and, um, it just, uh, yeah, it ended up being a, a good setup and a, a nice way to, I didn't ever really want to do the starving artist thing where it's like, all right, I'll just pull the plug on my job and just try to YOLO it. Like I, I wanted to have a little bit of a cushion and, and that job kind of <laughs> allowed me to do that. Yeah. That's obviously I'm not in the exact same scenario, but the flexibility and like the support, like you said, the, the support from, I mean, I couldn't be more blessed with the support from, you know, Cal before Cal is obviously gone now. Um, but Dan as well, uh, alongside Cal and Cam and everything, it, it's like having that support is like, I mean, I wouldn't be here. You, you probably, you might not be here if you hadn't had um, the support no that you had from your previous employer, you know? So it's, it's and and David Kitchen, I wouldn't. And of course, I, sh I yeah. can't believe I, I can't believe I forgot Kitchen. <laughs> you know? Like I've been at RG longer than Kitchen, but I would not be where I am if it weren't for if it weren't for David Kitchen. No one, the fantasy space wouldn't be what it is. No, like, shout out, shout out, shout out, Soccer Dave. Uh, now former former DFS influencer, now NFT influencer. A single NFT of what he's <laughs> incredibly passionate about. Oh, I can't handle. Did you I see? To... Did you see this? The battle playing out yesterday with Davis really wanting to do a swole cast and Kitchen not allowing us to do it. 
<laughs> yes, that 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 was great. This, so my take on the Swole cast really quickly is that these times when like you guys are like the off season editions and this like, you know, playoffs and like kind of when there isn't really much football to talk about are by far the best ones. I like when you guys feel forced to like talk about the slate and all that, like it's fine, whatever, like you guys do, do a good job and you still, you know, put in a lot of humor and all that. But I like, I, I, it's appointment viewing when like, like this week, if you would have had one, like would have been absolutely appointment viewing for, for, you know, Davis to be able to needle Dave and everything. But you know, the, the week, week seven of the NFL season is like, it's, it's fine. But like, I mean, it is like absolute must watch in those other weeks. Well, that's the irony of it, right? Is the, you know, our, our, uh, our benevolent overlords at uh, better collective only want to, uh, to write the checks for in season content, even though we're built to be an off season uh, show. Maybe we, we should pitch like a flippening where we do Wednesdays throughout the off season and then not just not doing a show during the season. That is, that is, that would be, it, we can run that up the ladder. I, yeah. If we actually, if they, I think I'm, I guarantee you, shout out Mark Peterson, who runs Better Collective US. I guarantee he has never watched this whole cast. If he actually understood what this whole cast was, he would probably sign off on that immediately. Like, you mean I don't have to pay these guys during football season? I'm just going to pay him for the off season. And um, I think he would enjoy that. I agree. That's a, I always, I, I always ask Spags because uh, our splash play is sponsored by Football Outsiders where Spags now works. And I'm like, has anyone from Football Outsiders actually ever watched this show like uh, are they are they aware what they're paying for and uh it's like sometimes i don't think they have actually watched the show (laughs) no no definitely not so one last question and we'll get we'll obviously run overtime and we'll get you out of here um we talked about um kind of like how you got started how the youtube thing got started and all that but that most relevant to this group is like ship chasing Mm. how did you like how did you pat and ben meet how did ship chasing come to be yeah. So Pat and I, well, what my, and it's kind of funny cause this is the last missing piece that, uh, from like my content story was after doing FF comedy hour, I had Matt Friedman on who's now at, uh, La- or now he's at FTN. I can't keep track of where FTN, he's at. Yeah. Uh, um, he was at Rotoviz and him and the fantasy douche had this idea for an NPR style fantasy podcast. And Friedman had come on the fantasy football comedy hour. He's like, Oh, this show's really well produced. Pete, would you be interested in kind of like hosting and, you know, producing this show? And I said, you know, sure, this sounds great. So we started doing a couple episodes and then we were quickly overwhelmed with how much audio we had to process and, yeah. and all of that. And Pat was already doing, uh, helping audio produce a little bit for Rotoviz. And I think I'd written a couple articles. So I remember like having like this hour long call with Pat be like, Hey, I'm in the weeds on all this stuff. Do you think you could help with this? Blah, blah. And so then it just ended up being Pat and I really in the trenches working on fantasy land. And we ultimately kind of burned out on doing these episodes. We did one on zero RB, uh, <laughs> you know, the kind of deep dives because it was just so much work. And so we kind of transitioned it. One of our last episodes we did is Fantasy Douche and Rotovis sent us to the FFPC drafts. And so we kind of recorded audio from that whole weekend, Pat and I arguing in the hotel room, talking <laughs> about our draft after. Um, I think it, it is still holds up as a pretty fun app. And then that kind of transitioned into, all right, what if the show just became you and I talking about our high stakes experiences and so it was first an article series on rotoviz then became a podcast that i still hate the name for called high stakes diaries uh <laughs> and then mercifully we moved over to uh four for four took us and we changed to ship chasing and then yeah so we just kind of con- 
continue running it back, obviously brought Ben Gretsch in the fold and uh, kind of just documenting us playing uh, high stakes fantasy football all these years. How did you guys meet Ben? How did I meet Ben? I think, I think I just knew Ben from, from online in, in doing content. I'm trying to remember if I had, if I'm missing like a very specific moment. I mean, Ben will always like similar to how we think similarly about stuff. Like I think the way Ben talked about fantasy sports, that always resonate probably from Rotovis. just, you know, Ben was part of the, he started writing his stealing signals, call him over there. I think that's probably where I, I first met him. Yeah, it was, this year has been a whirlwind for, for all of us, but having literally, like I had, I knew who Ben was before, um, this year, but like barely at all, you know, just like extremely vaguely and then meet him on, on ship chasing. And the next thing, you know, like I'm doing the, the kind of like primetime Sunday morning show on Rotogrinders and I don't have a co-host yeah. um, for the show. And they're like, who do you want it to be? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, Dan, can I, can I sell you on somebody? And I was like, you know, obviously you and Pat are, you know, not, not available. And I'm like, I got the perfect person for this. Like if you want someone that can talk intelligently about every single football player like that exists on the planet, like, and, 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 you know, tell these, you know, thousands of people listening to the show on Sunday about all these situations. I'm like, it's, it's Ben. And that turned into one of the most fun pieces of content that I have, have ever done. You know, so we did it for obviously for 18 weeks, um, Ben and I on the Sunday morning Rotor grinder show. And like, Literally, you know, just a couple of months before he didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I didn't know who he was. And the next thing you know, you know, we're on a show and I thought it was it was awesome. So, you know, I guess shout out to you. Perfect way to sum out sum, sum, <laughs> sum up this the show is like shout out to you because, I, you know, these connections and everything just a, a crazy last what it's been, I guess, eight or so, month, you know, going on going on nine months. Yeah, uh, have just been an absolute whirlwind. Yeah, and it's funny, like thinking back to the those shows we did this summer too, is like it was completely organic. Like it wasn't like we were all huddling around being like, <laughs> How can we, you know, change the ADPs? It was just like we were all so passionate and so enveloped in this best ball world they were like we, we just got to get on the air and talk about it for two and a half hours um <laughs> it just like to have that kind of fun and and see that it resonated with people was uh that, yeah that was a blast and gretch is gretch is awesome and i also one thing that's nice about gretch too and i bet you've felt this way with your shows is like he's like in his own world he's not in the hive mind of you know he's not worried about what the ownership percentages are and yeah. who's going to be chalked <clears throat> he just has his in-depth research and his unique way of looking at things. And it's such a nice compliment to, you know, when we're staring at, at different numbers and kind of getting his usage takes, and he's so good at spotting, you know, trends that maybe aren't re- quite reflected in the numbers yet. And so, yeah, he's a, he's a perfect addition to, uh, to our groups. I totally, I totally agree. He, that, that's why he was the perfect addition was I'm always thinking about like, okay, this person is right. You know, you're doing the same thing with a different data source, right? You're looking at the Sims and like, here's his ownership, here's his, you know, range of outcomes, blah, blah, blah. And we're like thinking through all these gal brained ideas and correlations and all that kind of stuff. And he's just like, you know, comes in and, and mentions maybe some name or some reason about a game. Maybe I loved a game. Like we would come into a game and I'm like, I love that game. And he would come in and spout off X, Y, Z as to why he's like, I bet the under, he's like, he's like, I bet the under on this game. I don't, you yeah. know, blah, blah, blah. I don't like this game. And I'm like, well, shit, you know, like that makes a lot of sense, you know, and, and maybe it was going to be popular, whatever. I love, I love the way that he, that he thinks about things. Another really quick, like behind the scenes, one of my favorite things from the first couple of episodes that we did 
on on ship chasing is. I can't remember if it was the first or second or maybe both or whatever. And we go for like two and a half hours, yeah, or whatever it is. Like we, it's a fucking marathon episode yeah. because, like you said, we're we're very passionate about what we're talking about. And then we do a draft, and the draft is a lot of fun because all the, it's all these sickos that are in this chat right now, and and we're we're going crazy over wide receivers. And then we wrap up, and like we all just talked about so many things. Our 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 minds are just spinning. And we're all like, okay, I'm going to go take a piss. And like, I got a question for you. And then we sit here and like, my wife will come down. It's like midnight. My wife comes down and she's like, are you still on this stream? Or like, I'm like, no, we're just shooting the shit now. Yeah. You know, and I've had like seven whiskeys or, or yeah. whatever, you know, it's like, you know, but like, like you said, I think it kind of drove on the point that like, it's just something that we were passionate about. Right. Right. Like we weren't, we weren't getting paid for that. We weren't, it was just something that we felt really strongly about. And the next thing, you know, you know, it kind of blew up. Yeah. And we, I, I sometimes have those, those moments. It almost feels like a stoner moment when you're like, it is so surreal that obviously it'd be funner if we were all in person, like having drinks and talking about this. But the fact that we're able to, I feel like it is almost an out of body experience when you get talking and you're having fun, you forget you're on the internet and we're just talking about this thing. And we have these shared interests and these technologies that facilitate (laughs) it. We're fortunate enough that there's people who want to watch us have these conversations. Like I do really value those moments where it's like, this isn't a job. This isn't a chore. We're just a bunch of people that the internet allowed to find each other and collectively, you know, geek out about this stuff is, is pretty cool. Yeah. And then the only other one that I'm going to bring up is you guys do a uh, like pre Thanksgiving show that I got to, I was lucky enough to be on and brought on. I mean, what a, like Reeves is on there. Right. And like, just an, an, an incredible, just like collection of people kind of doing what Pete and I are doing today. Just like, sh- shooting the shit and it was the same thing like you said that like i think that's what makes this whole community great kind of to wrap up is like peter and i could just sit here and literally shoot the shit for an hour and a half right we can bring on on a wednesday night before thanksgiving right there's a dfs slate the next day we could go crazy talking about everything that we want to talk about for the dfs slate but all we really did was have some beers and like shoot we're telling like evan silva stories <laughs> you know there's like, plenty uh, of those yeah <laughs> when Dave comes on and you know he's telling us what Silva's doing in the other room right we're talking yeah. like we're just shooting the shit and having fun and people want to hear that you know just as much as they want to hear like what's your take on this player you know and so i think that's that's the biggest thing that's gotten me really excited about this whole space is that i can do a show like this and like bring you on and we can have these conversations right it doesn't yeah. always have to be like what do you think about zero RB? What do you think about Antonio Gibson? Like it can be like, we're all a big community. That's just like kind of having fun together. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, we, we know we, we need to pace ourselves. We're going to be talking about this literally <laughs> until the season starts. So it's like, you know, slow and steady wins the race here. Yeah, exactly. That's why like, I'm, I only have three shows a week scheduled. I got more coming um, that I'm making some other people do, but uh, it's like basically one time a week is like, actually let's talk about let's talk about real like you know best ball takes and all that kind of stuff because the rest of it is like like you said i gotta fill hundreds of shows for the next year basic i mean it's round it's like fully year round at this point so let's let's at least have a little fun and have a little casual time um, for sure up until then so anyway um i'm sure you know you've already dropped everything that you want to drop on any of your shows but anything you want to leave before we uh head out here anything any announcements any other fun stuff you got going on oh the dogs the dogs dogs are ready for the show to be always gotta always gotta make an uh an intro uh no nothing i'm doing splash play tomorrow at 2 30 we're having justin freeman on from run the sim so we'll talk all about uh conference championship week and uh build some showdown lineups but uh 
yeah, uh, not too much else uh, specifically coming to mind. Sounds good. So um, I will be back next week. Um, I'll, I can just go ahead and, and drop it. I'm bringing on the former Best Ball Mania winner, Justin Herzig. Oh, nice. Next, next, next Wednesday, we'll be on this on on this show. And then tomorrow, we are going to get into, into some drafts. Not going to tease what all the drafts will be but fridays are the day that uh, on spike week we do we do some drafts so i'll be back tomorrow with some drafts but uh for me and of course for my dogs who cannot help but to make an appearance on on every show and for pete i will see you guys tomorrow